Presentation Podcast, Season 7, Episode 187. The science of presentation is real, and this conversation on the Presentation Podcast is with Dr. Carmen Simon, a noted cognitive neuroscientist that is focused on business presentations and content retention. For presentation designers, this is the important science. Let's join Troy, Nolan, Sandy, and Dr. Carmen Simon. Hi, I'm Troy Collar from TLC Creative Services, based in Southern California, sometimes. Welcome to the Presentation Podcast. I'm Sandy Johnson with Presentation Wiz in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I'm Nolan Hames from Nolan Hames Creative in Montclair, New Jersey. Okay, guys, we missed last episode. Big kudos to Lori for jumping in and uh, and doing an awesome conversation. Uh, it was really fun. It's really, it truly is a conversation we that had started in October and just kept evolving. I was like, would you mind recording something with me? Because I can't get together with Sandy and Nolan and we're the problem. Um, so it was really cool. So we haven't actually talked for like a couple of weeks now. It's and been so a minute. I got I to gotta hear what's going on. I mean, it's the holiday time seasonal start by the way when you're when you're in madrid spain and you say i gotta get the christmas lights up after thanksgiving you just get blank looks like you are such an american um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) what's happening well um a lot lot of stuff as we sort of like careen towards the end of the year right we've got uh people trying to cram in trainings and and uh templates and stuff i've got a bunch of templates in, in different stages uh data report two pecha kuchas um, and this interesting sort of production job that's that's ballooning. I dealt with the largest PowerPoint file I, I ever have. Um, oh wait, this will be good. What's 4. your size? Four point five gigabytes. Wow, oh, that might beat me. And yeah. this was for this is for a major food and beverage company um, that was used. They were using PowerPoint as a um, a training guide, and it, it's it's updated every every month or two, and then it's sent out to all their stores and people view them on iPads and it's, it's ultimately PDF'd. But this file had been kicking around for so long. It had 70 meg, uh, TIFFs in it. It had oh. all, just like, oh my stuff they gosh, but, but here's what's interesting. And so I've been emailing back and forth like crazy with Mike power. Um, just, just try to, you know, work with Slidewise and NX PowerLite to figure out the best way to do it. But I, I learned something. Well, learned something I, I really saw things in action that one of the reasons it was so huge is that they had been using PowerPoint as an edit as an image editing tool. So every image oh, yeah. was was background removed and 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 high and, oh, and contrast. Most and, versions of them all, yeah. Right. And, and that, that and even right? but even like putting little like PNGs of like sesame seeds on top of like things. There were so many layers of stuff. But the thing with what that I I guess learned or realized Whenever you make an edit, and you know this to the, to the file, it creates a WDP file mm-hmm. um, in under the hood. So even so, let's say you have like a you know a couple hundred kilobyte JPEG, but you do some sort of adjustment to it. Yep. Suddenly, you now have a 1.5 megabyte yep. WDP under the hood that you don't even realize, and that and so this file was just so mucked up that I've been taking images out and putting them back in, and right. all the, it's just like page by page rebuilding it. So to and correct that, do you do paste special? Well, is that how you do I'd it? Or what do you do? I'm doing a variety of things, but what I'm mostly doing is I'm using bright slide to I'm taking on a slide by slide basis into a new file, exporting all the images using bright slide. Mm-hmm. And then that shows me how much, how many d- there are and 
um, then I bring the image back in just the PNG without the WTP and perfect. Uh, so, but anyway, but there's no way, there's no way to actually view a WDP file, right? I don't know. It's a total that. code based. Um, yeah. It has all uh, the information of the original image. So it's non-destructive. Yes. Yeah. It's the um, original plus the, or like if you did a, a, a duotone in PowerPoint or you applied a, a beveled edge, it's that it, you're looking at the beveled edge version, but it still relies on the, wait, do I have that backwards? Is the WDP the original or is it, that the it, modified yeah, version? No, that's the modified. Okay, well, maybe that's... no, it has the original within it. So. Yeah, within yes, it. So anyways, yes, it ends yeah, up being And here. plus the adjustments. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the, the, the business part of this is I honestly and kind of build for this, like with the contract, I thought this was going to be a relatively simple NX Powerline slide like wise, <laughs> clean up. And then I got into it. I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> so oh. a lot more work. But anyway, you know, it's production work. I've been watching a lot of movies while I do it. <laughs> <laughs> Sandy, how about you? So I'll be on vacation with my oldest daughter's family when this podcast is released, which means I'm spending Thanksgiving in Rome. Pretty, pretty excited about that. Um, so really just a relaxing next couple of weeks here as far as news goes. But I did want to remind everyone that the presentation podcast is inviting you to join in an open to everyone anonymous Slido poll. And it's going to be open through the end of the year. Uh, in the just FYI, if you want to go to LinkedIn, you'll see my post there with some information. But if you want to do this in the poll, answer this question: What is your presentation design one-liner or elevator pitch? That is, what do you say to someone when they ask you what you do for a living? And here's what you do to participate: Go to Slido.com, add the event code code, excuse me, one liner, and then enter your one liner slash elevator pitch. Just want to make sure that everyone is still aware that that survey is live. That poll is live. Yeah, we're keeping it through December 31st and then we'll That's post right. results somewhere, somehow. Hey, you know what? Um, I, I, I can't, I don't know. You know, I'm going to save this one for news. Hold that thought. I'll, if what's happening, I'll do what's happening. And then I got a news item I'm going to add right now because it kind of. Okay, you start news. Well, hold on. I got to say what's happening. And it's basically oh. so many year-end projects. And literally, this is the most busy I think we've ever been over the history of the company for Q4. And also so many amazing travel projects. I mean, that's why I feel so busy because we've been, you know, basically in a different country almost every week to handle all these Q4. There are a lot of um, uh, pharma medical study. Maybe that's what I should say because the majority of them are that. Medical study, investigator meetings. They're just trying to get all these uh, um, content in at the end of the year, which is great. And it's awesome to visit other countries and so on and so forth. When this releases, hold on, I got to jump my life ahead. We will be in Amsterdam. No, we'll have wrapped up Amsterdam by the time this releases and we will be in Brussels. So, and awesome. I'm very excited to do Brussels in the Christmas markets and just, you know, the whole holiday time. Not so excited about having to travel and pack with that many warm clothes because I'm from San Diego. Um, <clears throat> but uh, <laughs> anyways, okay, let's do some news. My news item is about Copilot has launched kind of for yes. enterprise clients, yes. but it's also now in, okay. So basically I'll say I have enough 
design projects and travel going on right now that I've kind of given up on waiting uh, for the real launch. And I've kind of started ignoring all the co-pilot news and filtering through the AI tools. And, and <clears throat> Troy's had but, enough. Well, well, <laughs> I just decided I, I need time to ingest this and this whole theory time is not going to work. So here's the deal. Windows 11 Insider Preview Build, which was 25982, the Canary, cha uh, Canary Channel. Yeah. Um, they said they're going to begin rolling out Copilot in Windows in preview for Windows Insiders. And then, uh, and then you know, it'd roll out across select global markets, of which I figured I would not be one of them. So I've mentally kind of put this all on hold. Two days ago, major windows update happens i have copilot pre i have the actual icon i have the low in my windows 11 taskbar i've been utilizing right. it so now i'm back into oh now i gotta wrap my head around this so you know so my news was like literally as i pre-planned it, it's like hey there's a there's a sort of launch for copilot it's mainly for enterprise people i don't know if us you know regular folk will ever get to it before the beginning of the year and boom it shows up so my whole news thing here is yeah, it's there. Don't worry about it. And now it's, oh, it's really here. Wait, so, I thought you were on enterprise. I, I, we're an enterprise client, but we're not that enterprise. I mean, we're an enterprise M six M three sixty five, you know, organization. Got but, it. You know, I oh maybe that's why. I think actually. that's why. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I've had it for a few weeks. So we had a a, a call with a client that we're gonna do we're going to update all their social media templates and PowerPoint docs are the authoring tool, which is great because PowerPoint is a branding toolkit. Microsoft should have really leaned into this because Canva okay. has, and everybody else has, but it, you know, it has preset color scheme. It has all the fonts. You can have preset layouts. You can have uh, assets. That's not as easy as you want. We do hidden slides with assets, but anyways, so we have this whole conversation and they're talking about revamping their social media for 2024. And they want us to expand what we provide as far as templates and other documents. And I was like, ah, oh, I should probably go look up what the current image size is for all the major platforms. So I had this little co-pilot. I was like, well, I'll use this. I said, what are the major image sizes for LinkedIn? Gave me information on a couple of things I didn't know. I was like, oh, this is amazing. And it is current information because it tells you a reference of where it pulled it all. Oh, good. And then I, so I, did, I went through all of them. So then I was like, well, let's just, what are the major... Biz, what are the major social media platforms businesses use? Gave me a really good answer. I mean, I'm really excited about this stuff again. I So basically I discounted it, said I'll look at it in January, February, maybe June. And now I'm back into, oh, this is awesome stuff. Not utilizing it within, well, I'm not utilizing co-pilots within presentation work. We're using a lot of Photoshop um, generative mm -hmm. uh, fill stuff. So anyways, Copilot apparently has officially launched if uh, for some people, and it's on my toolbar. Well, I should correct myself. I'm still preview Copilot. Well, mine says pre. What is that? That's probably what oh, preview yeah. is. Preview. Right? Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. Okay. If you roll a Copilot preview. This is, all, this is all Windows 11 has nothing. Windows to do with 11. Microsoft 365. Right. I just know it showed up two days ago, and it's really actually a smart implementation. You click it, which I just did. It opens up a little side sliver pane on the right area and it moves all the other windows over it dynamically resizes them uh it, which i think is actually a good implementation i'd actually prefer it to be because i have three monitors i prefer to be able to tell this which monitor i want to open on um because it's not movable it is a a fixed element and it's on mm -hmm. my main screen i prefer it be on the one 
Well, I don't have it yet, but I am updating Windows now, so maybe... Maybe it'll show up. Wait, live while up. recording? You're recording on a different computer, right? <laughs> no, it's uh, it's um, it's Parallels. <laughs> oh, yeah, nothing could go wrong there. Sandy, what else is in news while we got the time? Well, this is equally as exciting, probably more so. Slidewise 2 is available. Yeah. Lots of new features. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to start with the feature that is a, a has always been there, uh, but has been upgraded. The fonts and media fix inconsistencies with fonts and media. And what I love most about the new feature is, or the upgraded feature, is that it tells me that, yes, I've eliminated all of these bad fonts, but you've got some bullet points that are the font you don't want, and you're going to have to look at those individually. So uh, it won't, before it just, we just got an error that would say it it couldn't convert everything. Mm -hmm. And now we know that it's probably because of the bullet points. And that is why sometimes you just will never get rid of Arial and Calibri. That's um, right. If you're using Slidewise because they're exactly. used for boards. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there are other uh, really cool ones that I haven't accessed. So if you guys have done this, let you know. Let us know. But there's Slide Masters where you can consolidate and organize the masters. Slide the, masters the are awesome. Yeah. Okay. Just, just used them yesterday. Yeah. It's is a great it better tool. than the experiment that appeared in our PowerPoint? like a couple of years ago from it's Microsoft? It's still there. It pops up for me every now and then. I never okay. use say yes to it because I can't control it. Okay. The one that says, you have too many masters. Would you like yeah. us to consolidate? It's I'm still assuming there. it does a good job, but you can't. Okay. Yeah, I just had it on a project I was on where I had like, I mean, it was, I gave up counting after 25 masters. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, the SlideWise one is very helpful. It, it makes quick work of knowing what is where. Um, I don't think I'm using it to its full extent, but yeah, it's, it's definitely cool. Okay, cool. What about colors? I had a little trouble using it, so I have to go back in and spend more time with it. I played around with it a little bit. I, I'm very picky about my colors. And so what, what it does now is it will show you instances of your theme colors, Mm -hmm. but which actually aren't theme colors. So, and I opened a file to sort of test it with, and it came up with, scores and scores of instances oh. and i i started to 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 change them and then i got to a point where like hmm. i like i don't know if yeah. i mean but in certain in certain situations i can definitely see it um okay so you want the fun inside trivia i i yeah. got a, had a conversation with mike powers about that and that was one of my things is like you know, theme colors are great, but it's identifying the things that aren't on a theme color. So mm-hmm. I, I, I will take credit for influencing that tool being oh, available awesome. because the problem is it's overwhelming when you realize how many mm-hmm. things it's like, now I know how many bad fonts there are in a file. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> luckily there's an easy fix. I just did a quick, quick, a quick, you know, being same day. Hey, this, this is a four by three presentation. I just talked about this in the episode that just released. Lori and I were talking because I had worked on it then, um, you know, four by three converted. And this was a classic early two thousands blue background, yellow headline font. It was a medical presentation, mm-hmm. but I went in to check the fonts. And uh, first of all, there was a copyright 2017 in the, in, on the slides. So I know it's been floating around for at least five years, but I'm like, this is a early 2000 look and it was four by three. There was, there was 19 fonts in this thing used in different places. It had just collected them all. So, you know, first of all, I think ignorance was better, but Slidewise did make it easy. I was just like, okay, I got to clean it up. I can't Mm -hmm. not, I can't ignore it now. Right. So yeah, their font, their font 
tool is probably one of my favorite items out of the whole thing, the, the replace. Uh, just audit. Absolutely. Have you worked with the file review side slide selection or image audit? I've been playing around with all of it. Okay. Um, yeah. The image audit confuses me a little bit because I'm not always sure what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> um, but it'll well, tell maybe you that's your are... silly, you know, what did, what's, what's the, um, that you uncovered with this project that you oh, mentioned the, up the front. WDPs. Yeah. Um, in some cases, but it'll tell you if I believe if like things are being scaled too much. Yeah. Or, it's the one that tells you if they're over, oh. if they've been increased beyond a hundred percent, there's a threshold in there. I think that's a pretty cool tool. So I identify <laughs> those images and go look for resolution. I, I've played mm -hmm. with it. haven't used it. It's not into my main workflow yet. I mean, it's, it's pretty much a brand new rollout, but everybody should have it. Yeah. I mean, for this, this, um, this file, this project I was just telling you about, mm -hmm. NX Paralyte SlideWise and BrightSlide. I mean, there's literally no way I could have done this project without those tools. Um, so they are they are lifesavers. Thank you. So Thank if you, you don't Mike. have Thank it, you, we recommend uh, Jamie. it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You could do it. We've done it in the past, but it's just oh, painful. Yeah, I just you right click, you open up the the zip file, you extract yeah. all the images, yeah. and then you painfully yeah. look at them in Windows Explorer or. Um, uh, mm. somehow and you identify them one by one. And yeah, it, I mean, there's a reason that tools do that stuff. Okay. I have a news item. We're, we're going to, we're eventually going to get to our conversation, which will be phenomenal. But, and fortunately this one is not, this one is, is not new for me. And luckily I was unaffected by it. And I'm going to talk very carefully in general, broad terms to not go against any NDAs, but I believe it's newsworthy without going into details. And there's an emphasis here on communication with your users is vital. The Microsoft MVP community recently experienced kind of a communication change. Um, and But we were, for the most part, mostly unaware of it. And the change was is communications were going to one email and they the system updated and suddenly everybody was getting communications on a different email, sometimes an email that didn't exist or they didn't know about. Mm -hmm. But they also weren't getting the notifications because they're being sent to an email that nobody was tracking. For me, like I said, it wasn't effective because literally six months ago, I had this whole thing where I couldn't do it. And I actually went through and did all the steps, but it was a lot of communication with the MVP team. Like, I don't even know where I should be looking. And the, the folks, they rolled out a new website. There's a new backend. I mean, it, it's it's growing pains. But this one got to be just almost his not hysterical, um, humorous to the point where like, wait a minute, I just got like 19 updates now that I know where to look. And so the moral of the story is advanced notification of changes is always a good plan. So, and everything's good. Everything's back to normal. Everything's Everybody's getting in sync, but it good. took a while ish. Yes. <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> My face is red, if you could see me, guys. It was, yeah. I mean, I, I'm just reading those emails going, oh, now everybody felt like saying, see, that's what I was experiencing three months ago or six months ago. And nobody believed me that it was a problem. And so <laughs> I should have talked louder so everybody knew it. What other fun news do we have? Um, what else? Do we, um, Elgato has a new um, uh, product uh, that that's, I, I think some people have gotten it, but they said it's going to ship. I'm getting mine in December, or that's around the corner. Um, it's a teleprompter. So uh, Elgato makes um, cameras and lights and Stream Deck and and lots of streaming uh, stuff. So finally, they've they've uh, produced this teleprompter. Now most teleprompters are just the the screen itself, where you put your camera through 
and but it still requires an extra screen, usually like an iPad. So the teleprompter is expensive. Then you got to add in an iPad, and it gets to be sort of a a big, clunky, expensive sort of thing. So I've always sort of resisted. I'm like, yeah, I don't really need that. But this is a small unit that comes with its own screen. It's under three hundred dollars. Again, including that screen, you put it in front of your computer, um, your camera, and it has adapters for all different types. And I haven't seen it yet, but apparently there's software that's drag and drop. So you can take any window or anything, I guess, on your computer, drag it onto that software, and that is what shows on the screen. So what this allows you to do is you can have actual teleprompt um, text, or you can just put your um, your um, uh, your slides? Zoom, your, yeah, your slides or your oh. Zoom window, your people, mm-hmm. whatever, allowing you to have real eye contact. Oh, people. check so, this out. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it, it looks we need to put a link cool. in the notes for that. That sounds awesome. So it includes so it, it's a it's a it's a reverse image mirror. So you know the angled mirror camera can shoot through it, but it has the camera built into it. But I'm actually yep. using you guys are looking at me through an Elgato um webcam right now. I think they're one of the oh. best USB, it's USB C, but USB based um non-DSLR webcams on the market. I actually replaced my Sony Alpha series on my well, the home studio and the office studio with these. Um, and I think they're phenomenal, but now you can get them. And you know what? Those, these webcams are like 200, 250 bucks. And this thing's $300 and it yes. looks like it's Less. the same webcam, a different well, variation. Well, of it, it doesn't come with a webcam. You have to, Oh, it doesn't. No, you have to bring your own webcam, but it'll, no, it'll it has a picture of the one I'm looking at has an Elgato face cam. Yeah. That's because it want, they want to publicize using their own webcam. But it's not the same one. Hmm. Uh, I no, it it doesn't come with a camera, but you can put. It comes with all these different adapters that you can put different cameras oh, in, including face cam. Okay, well, the face cam they have pictured oh, there looks different. See me, looks, looks different than the one oh. I'm using. Is it so just it's a, different? Do they have different models? Are you talking Not about the one that has the? It's um, interesting. Oh well. Uh, okay. Yeah, these I'm are cool. Excited. It's a great. I mean, the idea is you always have constant eye tech. You're literally not looking away because your your screen is where the camera is. Um, Oh, Troy, why, why did you why did you get rid of your Sony camera in favor I re- of uh, the 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 Elgato as the I mean the clarity and the depth of field, um, the software integration, so I can actually do zoom control through a digital medium. I can do I can do so many more tools. I just found it to be far, it's so much more simple too. Hmm. I mean, it's hmm, just okay. you know it just literally is there. I really um, found now in in the record studio we still have well it's a th- three camera shoot always, but it has the option for two more. Um, you know, we, we have the Sony's in there. Uh, we have a lot of other, <laughs> we're now using, we have a $3,500 uh, PTZ camera that we bring to shows, but I was like, it's got a USB port. Let's um, plug it in direct to a thing. So we have this crazy. Yeah. I'm still using so, Logitech, which I thought was so cool. <laughs> Logitechs are great. Um, yeah. Oh no, I got rid of, yeah, we, we, they're scattered around. Okay, so um, news on one of my favorite Microsoft built-in tools, and that's the snipping tool. They've recently, well, they've had updates, some which I didn't catch on to later, I think. But the biggie or the newest is text action. And what this does is it allows you to um, take a screenshot, take a capture of text, which results in a photo, right? And then now you can, with the basic snipping tool, copy that text, redact the text. You can you get bare naked text. Oh, it's kind so of it's awesome. A, 
wait a minute. How does redact and get text work together? I, I'm not familiar. I use, I use Snagit. So I don't use snippet I know tools, you do. So, so I've not to- used the redaction tool. So that's just from the media announcement, but literally you can copy and paste from the image that you capture okay. with the snipping tool. So that's OCR. And you can paste it to the PowerPoint or to uh, your notes or whatever, and you can edit it. Um, as far as redacting in the image, I haven't tried that yet. That makes but sense. there's an I article. Mean, in, okay. No, oh, I, I see the link. I'll go look at it. Okay. So yep. with, with Snagit, I, I use their blur, blur, their pixelate option all the time, but that's not true redacting. Redacting is technically like government. A blackout, you know, blackout kind of bar. thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so I wonder but, what that, I'll look at it. Now, this is the next one. My update, my recent update included a screen recorder, which according to um, an article that that's been that I found that's been available since March. But I just got the screen recorder and the option then to edit the video that you capture in ClipChamp. Oh, that makes sense. Yes. So I know it's not as robust as Camtasia by any means, but I'm really, really impressed with the capability. And everyone who has Microsoft 365 has the um, snipping tool. It's pretty See, cool. The screen, the screen capture tool make and uh, the screen recording tool makes sense because that's in the um, the game bar is a, is a really nice rec- uh, screen capture tool. So it's already built into Windows. Sure. I'm just wondering if they're finally just leveraging it and packaging it under the snipping tool because. I, well, I'm, they already have it. <laughs> I mean, they have multiple, or do they just add another feature and they have multiple tools doing the same thing? It's always a question I have with Microsoft: is who's talking to who? Okay, yeah, last exactly. few news items, so we can move on. We got a conversation here; it's going to be awesome. All right, last item is uh, the presentation summits. Summits uh, ha- are are over now, but you can still get the uh, recordings. They're available to the public for just three hundred and ninety-five dollars through October of next year. So um, that is that all the all the online sessions um, are available to you. So I think uh, three days of of conferencing for just three ninety five definitely worth uh, definitely worth swinging by the presentation summit dot uh, com to to uh, to take a look. And, and I, should, I just watched. Oh, go ahead. What do you got, well, Sandy? Well, I was just going to say it applies to all the sessions, including today's guest. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Carmen Simon yeah. is a part of that. And I, it includes, I, I was going to say, because I had to, I was, I could only be at the on-site event for the two days, which was phenomenal, not regretting any of it, but I didn't get to see Nolan present and Nolan, you did a phenomenal virtual thing. That was all um, cameo, correct? You leveraged it cameo? Was. Yep. Cameo. It, it actually First took time. me a while. I was like, how is this being done? It's like, oh wait, he's doing cool stuff. It's a really good presentation, folks. Nolan's was really good. Carmen Simon's is great because you can recap and watch it like, I'm kind of biased because I got to see it in person and now the recorded version, the in-person I think had a little different, I don't know, it just felt better, but there's so much information in there. You can pause and kind of ponder or rethink. Exactly. Exactly. And I said presentationsummit.com. That's wrong. It's (laughs) betterpresenting.com slash summit, but you can, you can just Google presentation summit and And you're uh, going to find it. Exactly. Okay, we're going to move over to our real conversation today. Uh, (laughs) Hang with us, folks. Here we go.
Okay, everybody, welcome to the presentation podcast. We are three designers, Nolan, Sandy, and myself. Over the years, we've had on many other designers, developers, coders, uh, let's see, our professional speakers, professional speaker coaches, writers, even a lawyer or two. But our guest today is something unique for us and amazingly appreciative. We have a cognitive neuroscientist, a PhD twice over, um, an instructor at Stanford University, founder of a number of research companies, has a numerous or plethora of papers and uh, just amazing content that is out there. And she spoke at the recent presentation summit, I should say again, and both at the in-person event and the Zoom virtual event about this fascinating study she's recently completed, which is what we're planning to focus on. But we also want to talk to her about her kind of work in general and what presenters and presentation creators can learn from just her amazing knowledge base in this area. To set the stage, this is from Carmen Simon's LinkedIn about section. So if you go to her profile, it says, why is it that we remember something from one business presentation, but not another? As a cognitive neuroscientist, I have spent the past decade researching what makes content memorable. So this is the science that we as presentation designers are really interested in. And I'm very excited about this conversation. And this has been a very long introduction, but I want to welcome Dr. Carmen Simon to the presentation podcast. Hi, Carmen. Thank you, thank you. Hello and welcome everyone. We've known you for uh, for a number of years, but finally we uh, we're, we're happy to have you here. And as as Troy said, your your LinkedIn page is long. Um, I think it's uh, it might be the longest. No, no, he said the introduction was long. <laughs> the introduction was long, uh, but the LinkedIn page as well. As, now we're not going to go through every part of your resume, but uh, we always talk about. Um, at least, you know, for presentation design, what we do, nobody gets to that position in a straight line. Like everybody comes at it from these weird like backgrounds and everything. I have a theater background and I mean, it's just weird, weird paths. So um, I'd love to hear from you about how you explain your career trajectory um, and your changing interests sort of over the years. And then tell us what your current role at Corporate Visions is and kind of what you do on a daily basis. Um, Let's, uh, let's work backwards. So yeah. um, for provisions, uh, I am the chief science officer, and um, we conduct a lot of research in the area of uh, content that leaves impressions on customers' minds. So we're commercially oriented. And the reason you need to leave some traces on customers' minds is because the brain makes decisions based on what it remembers, not on what it forgets. So um, for everyone listening to this, the very practical guideline that we offer right off the bat is to always look for techniques that enable some memory traces because then you increase the chances of a decision to be made. And what is science but an increased likelihood that something is going to happen. And I've come to this trajectory by looking at how many customers choose not to decide. And quite often is because they forget a lot of things after 48 hours who tend to take away if we're lucky, about 10% of the content that we've been exposed to two days ago. 
And I say if we're lucky because sometimes I'm noticing that people remember only 3%, sometimes only 1%. It's possible that people take away nothing from a segment after 48 hours. And it's a sad reality that I've been looking for many years to uh, to correct in uh, in some way. Even if it's just an extra small percentage increase in memory, that takes you on the, on the way to uh, persuasion through the path of memory, through the memory lane. So at, at Corporate Visions, mostly you're, you're hired by corporate America for specific jobs uh, specific, uh, to uh, their websites or their, their products or client interactions to, to sort of analyze and, and improve retention and ultimately sales. Is that, am I, exactly. <laughs> am I dancing we, around it? <laughs> yes, this is, a, this is a good description. Uh, we handle uh, mainly sales, marketing, and uh, customer success teams who wish to uh, create messages or have the right skills or have the right processes and technology in place so that then they can impact their own customers. We always deal with audiences that have audiences in, uh, in good ways. And what is a good way this, these days? Most companies are after growth of some sort. So anytime you're looking to, uh, to grow something, you're looking to impact your customers. And um, we use science in that impact and I'll give you an example of what science does. So, for instance, if you're looking at a message that you're creating for an existing customer, it is our viewpoint that is science-backed, that that message for an existing customer is not the same as a message for a new customer. Those two psychologies are diametrically opposed. As a result, then you have to go about, about that message in, in different ways. So it's like buy from us and for your first purchase, you get this free where the, the loyal customer gets absolutely nothing. <laughs> so that turns a loyal customer off. I don't know if that's what you're talking about, but that's what I think of. But you're already thinking in the right direction in the sense that the existing customer versus the new have different uh, mindsets. For the new customer, the mistake that some people make in their presentations is that they would initially say, this is our solution and this is how it would benefit you. What we would advocate is for a new customer, you have to first tell them why they should change and then how the solution helps. So a why change and then a yes. why you would be for that bucket. For an existing customer, you don't want to tell them why change because they've already changed and they selected you. You want to you wanna tell them why stay because they still have choices and then why evolve with you? Because situations are never static, especially when it comes to uh, mar different markets. Uh, things are always evolving. So a uh, why stay and why evolve with us are the types of messages that you would address in that presentation. We're, we're, Go we're going to get into all these studies, but already I have like like a thousand questions. Um, I mean, I just love the th what you just said about, you know, the brain obviously makes decisions based on what it remembers, not what it forgets. And that you're lucky if somebody walks away remembering something, you know, fr from your talk or from your presentation or whatever. Do you get into sort of um, s strategizing about, I mean, just sort of with the assumption, I, I assume a lot of clients say, well, I want them to remember everything. Like, let's do it. And I mean, do you get into the strategizing of Okay, we're gonna we're gonna design the one percent or the three percent that they do remember, and we're just gonna focus on that. Definitely, and I like that uh, you're asking that question already because let's wonder what does it take to be on that memory lane. And a lot of people aspire at memory, but not that many people know what they want to be memorable for. So step number one is clarify 
we call it the metaphorical 10%, let's just go with the optimistic value of, uh, of 10, knowing that sometimes that's much less. Sometimes it could be higher. The higher, the highest I've ever seen it was about 18% after 48 hours. But clarify, if you want to control your 10%, clarify it. I'm saying control, by the way, because sometimes another mistake that um, some presentation designers make is that they leave that 10% to chance, meaning that if you're, if you're not really clear about what the essence of the presentation is, then let's just say you have 20 people coming to listen to you. Maybe you have a hundred, maybe you have four. And if you're not controlling, that means person number one is going to remember one message. Person number two is going to remember another mm-hmm. 10%, person number three. And when there isn't a unified 10% message, then decision-making processes take longer because these days, especially if you're creating presentations in a commercial context, you're aware that you're dealing with not just one person, you're dealing with groups. And in order to convince groups, not just isolated cases, now you have to aspire at unified memory, not just one a memory. Mm-hmm. So wait, just to clarify what I heard... <laughs> retention after 48 hours is the highest you've ever observed? In a commercial setting. I'm depressed. (laughs) Troy, not your talks. Your talks are 100%. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I always just say, if you get two to three nuggets out of this, you're doing good. So let's see, if I had 100 nuggets, I might be doing... Wow, that's um, an amazing stat. It's a reality because when, especially in um, in commercial settings and especially in B two B, you're not dealing with content that um, is sexy and easy to understand. But often you're yes. dealing with the scourge of our business. <laughs> yes, you're dealing with governance processes. You're dealing mm-hmm. with uh, some um, insurance related things. You're dealing with biotech kind of data. You're dealing with a lot of complexity. And um, I like what Nolan asked earlier in terms of what's the process around this. So think about what is your 10% message. So out of all the messages that you're sharing, what is one unifying one and no more than three or four subsets for that? Because usually you will have some supporting points. And I'm saying no more than three or four, not because the brain is not capable. The, The brain is highly capable of memory when some conditions are met usually when the stimulus is important enough, it's interesting enough, it's chunked the right way. Uh, you have a, a vested interest. Uh, you have some elements of surprise. There are many variables we can talk about, but the brain is a, is a cognitively lazy organ. And after 48 <laughs> hours, if you ask anyone from your buying group, what is it that you remember? They typically don't go through the effort of bringing to back to mind more than three or four items at which they stop. So then you have to make it easy for them. So a requirement for a 10% message would be cognitive ease so that those three or four things come to mind effortlessly. And that's why I'm saying don't go above that because anything above that will require effort, which hardly anyone will give you, especially in uh, in a business setting. So I want to jump into the your recent study that you presented at the summit, but because you just said what you said, one of the things that you mentioned, and, and maybe we'll get to it again, is so a concept must be in a, and this is me not remembering all the details, but a concept <laughs> must be remembered like within a 20 minute presentation. It must be repeated seven times within a certain length. Can you, do you know what I'm referring to? I do. Are, I, are, okay. 
Yeah, so uh, what Sandy is talking about is one of the um, neuroscience studies that um, we completed a few years back was around uh, contrasting four modalities of presenting. And the four modalities included a sales presentation to be delivered face-to-face, one that was delivered over the phone, one was delivered virtually, like we're doing right now, and one was hybrid, meaning that some people were the same location with the seller and some were calling in virtually. So in those four modalities, what we discovered was regardless of modality, we were able to get most of the participants to remember what we wanted them to remember. So our 10% message we were in control of, I think it was about uh, 74% of the population in that study remembered what we thought was uh, important. To us, is a, that's a, a number of success. And then we are looking to see what is it that we did to control that 10% message so much. So we repeated it three times verbally and seven times visually within a seven-minute presentation. Three and times verbally and seven times visually within... Yes. A 10-minute presentation. Within a seven-minute seven seven, presentation. Seven, oh, got it. Okay. So it was- A lot uh, of numbers. It was, <laughs> well, it was a lot of numbers, but what we get out of that is more precision around the 10% message. And the reason why the repetition is, is mandatory is because if you operate in a context that is highly competitive, you do want after 48 hours, ideally more, to make sure that people say back- to you or to others, something that is close to verbatim versus gist. Because mm. if you're not enabling somebody else's brain to have verbatim memory, that means if people listen to you and then they listen to your competition and they listen to some other competitor yet, after 48 hours and more, people will not be able to say with precision who said what. And then as a result, they might give credit to the more familiar source, in which case you end up giving somebody else's presentation. <laughs> and that, <laughs> that hurts. So the, the, the verbal, the three times verbal and seven times visual uh, completely addresses uh, this the whole concept of presentation that you need to say that, that if you say something once, that's good. If you, if you show something, that's good as well. But when you combine them, then it becomes synergistic, right? Then it then it's sort of... Yes, yeah, so it was definitely a combination of the visuals plus the words matching. So it wasn't like right. the person was paraphrasing. So it was the exact same thing each time. Mm, okay. And also sometimes we kind of ease the pressure of repetition and what I'm noticing that adults are somewhat afraid to go there because they might think, well, if I say this one more time, I might come across as remedial or people might think that I'm not perceiving them as intelligent beings. There isn't... Um, the context will not be like this because you may be repeating some things, but it takes somebody else's brain quite a while to recognize that this is repeated. We forget our lives almost as quickly as we, as we live them. So you should not be afraid of that. Also know that the same, the brain that creates the presentation is not the same brain that receives the presentation. So in your own <laughs> mind, you will, you'll have been exposed to that content many, ta- content many times over but somebody who's seeing it for the first time will take a, it will take a while for that brain to start recognizing patterns because that's what you're doing with the repetition. So indulge, I'm going to use that verb strongly, indulge in repetition and have this neuroscientific humility to know that unless you say and show a message multiple times, you will not be in control of your 10% message. Does that's this perfect. mean... You said saying the same thing that's on the screen. Does that mean you should be reading the exact thing that's up on the screen? Because that's advice we've often heard 
you know, to say paraphrase, don't just read exactly, don't read your bullets, for example, right? I would stay consistent <laughs> with those exact same messages because the brain is looking to create a mental model of what you have shared. And the more consistent that men mental model is, the stronger the verbatim memory is. Mm -hmm. And know that this would not conflict with previous advice in the sense of don't you read the PowerPoint slide that's that's All the bullets, you. right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> this is only happening sporadically in the sense that every so often you come back to this 10% message. Mm -hmm. And these are fairly succinct messages. These are phrases, like in this case, it was um, incent to right to sell more. So notice how it's almost like a mantra. It's something or that a you tagline. And after so, I tagline yeah. exactly, and the subsets for this were only three punchy phrases. Now there are some detriments to three punchy phrases for subsets, because while people, so the seventy-four percent of people remember the main message with uh, good accuracy, they did not remember the subsets with as much mm -hmm. accuracy. Okay. So right now I'm getting ready to do a new study on refining your 10% message subsets because, and I'm curious what you think about this, what your hypothesis would be. I already have a hunch that three key phrases do not work. Like in this case, it was uh, optimize, plan, execute. Anybody could say that. Like if I had a presentation for Uber Eats, yes. I could probably use those three key phrases. If I had a presentation for Home Depot, I could probably use those three key phrases. I have a hunch that that's the reason why just three key phrases will not work. Maybe longer sentences that have some sort of more meat and elaboration might be better. I'm going for that one. What What would you suggest for a subset of a 10% message? Well, what if... What if it was more of subsets within an umbrella s uh, statement? So our organization provides X or our 2020, 20, our 2024 vision is, and then you have those three mantras to go with it. So there's kind of a overarching, but the subsets are truly a subset of a bigger picture to give them some context. Because as you said, the three that you listed could be used for virtually anything, but there's no context to them. Would that be like another key, like a preliminary message? I don't know. So in this case, there was context because the main 10% message that people did remember mm. was okay. send rights to sell more. Okay. And then mm. the three subsets were, well, how do you do that? You do yeah, that. To support. You, you incent, you plan, and you optimize or whatever those, uh, those things were. So I would think that a logical would be the presentation structure, which, you know, Cliff Atkinson promotes in his book book where color and text in a section are the are the acts or in your case the key message and then as you break down there each visual supports the sub messages i i think there's a way to do it but it might be i you always teach on one concept per slide. So that's what I would continue to do. The overarching concept is your key statement and the supporting would be the subsequent concepts. But just personally, those like, because we see it all the time, those three words, I, I don't even remember what you said, those three, like, as <laughs> yeah, an example. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So if but, I know it, I was like, like, what were those three? I was just thinking but, that yeah, through. Yeah. <laughs> right. But like those incent, engage, deliver, whatever, right. like I see those all the time and I yes. forget them instantly. I would, yes. I would remember and often do if each one of those is a phrase or a sentence yes. that's very specific, like, um, yeah. 
That's what I meant. Sell, sell, yes. sell more lawnmowers at Home Depot. Like mm. that, I'm going to remember, not in scent. Like that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 exactly. A full concept, a complete concept. But I mean, the other things like when I, you know, when I teach about headers is I always teach like your header should not be able to be in anybody else's presentation because mm-hmm. if it's, if it's, if it's vague enough, like in scent or engage, then there, there's nothing specific. There's nothing to remember because that could apply to anybody when my brain starts to, you know, remember that exactly. thing. Exactly. Lawnmowers at Home Depot is very specific. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going to remember that. Okay. Yes. I got I to redirect because this is all awesome, Carter. Yes. Don't mind. I would love to take the, the study. We So the three of us have this advantage of we got to see your presentation and, and see the visuals of study subjects sitting at the desk with the, the, the brain um, uh, contraption going on there. Could you give us, for everybody else listening in, could you give us a little overview of how you were able to study people's brains when they were ex- exposed to specifically the Zoom sessions or whatever platform you were using, kind of the methodology behind that as well? So some of the practical, how was it physically done and the methodology would be just an awesome kind of segue from what we're talking about. Or and into and also, about. was this for a client or or not? Most studies that uh, we construct and uh, complete at provisions are initiated by us mainly because clients get very fascinated by this technology I'm about to describe. But when it comes to asking research questions, they find that to be a little difficult. Every so often, we will have a client-specific project in the sense of compare this website against this competitor's website or compare this mobile app that's ours against somebody else's that has similar functionality. But many of the projects that we complete, we complete them ourselves just because we do a lot of market research. We recognize what customers are wanting to find out. And um, we will formulate the research questions so that they serve a larger population. For the subjects that we recruit, we try to recruit mainly from B2B. We don't, even though I teach at Stanford, we don't uh, recruit students. We don't recruit uh, prisoners. We recruit B2B (laughs) professionals. So that we can generalize then the results to that population. And when we say neuroscience study, what does that study entail? All of our studies will have a combination of these signals. When participants come to the room, they'll sit in front of a computer because they're about to watch mainly a a presentation, a sales presentation. And um, that's uh, typically offered as a virtual setting. Every so often we'll uh, organize a face-to-face setting where you will have the presenter right in front of you. And you're wearing this gear. On your scalp, there is an EEG cap. EEG stands for electroencephalogram. So what that means is that anytime you're exposed to your reality, there are several brainwave types that get generated in reaction to that stimulation. And through the electrodes that we place on the scalp, we get to record those brainwaves. And then we get to associate them depending on their position and intensity with specific cognitive processes. Then on your chest, you would have an electrode that enables us to record an ECG signal, an electrocardiogram. If you've ever had an EKG in a hospital, it's exactly the same signal that we get, except they call it by the sexier German name. (laughs) Then on your wrist and fingers, you would have a device that's called a GSR, a galvanic skin response. And the reason for that is because anytime you're exposed to your reality and you have a reaction to it, let's just say you're watching a movie or in this case, a sales presentation, something may provoke a reaction or it may not. Usually in business content, we're lucky to capture some reactions 
compared to what happens to your brain and body when you're watching a movie. But if your presentation ignites some reactions and your competitors does not, then it's good to have that, uh, that device. And what I mean by a reaction is when you have that reaction, usually your skin changes, or I should say the conductivity of your skin changes. So we capture that. And then there is a fourth signal that we capture, which is an, an eye tracking signal. So on the computer itself, or sometimes people wear the actual glasses, there's an eye tracking device. And the reason for that is because usually you look to what you think. So there's a connection between visual attention and cognitive processes. And the reason you need a combination of these signals, not just one or two, is because if you only used one or two, it would still be a little difficult for someone to make logical inferences. So for instance, let's just say that you only had an eye tracking study and you showed somebody your website or your presentation, and you're recognizing that on every single slide, people are looking at those distinct headers that uh, uh, Nolan was talking about. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't know. Are they looking there because that area is interesting or because that area is confusing? So that's why you need some of these other signals to then make sense of what's happening because the only reason why you would even go to this extent is because you want to bypass self-reports. Otherwise, you could easily show somebody a presentation oh. or a website and after the fact say what attracted your attention, uh, what ignited the more of a reaction or a strong emotion, what engaged you the most. And people will tell you, but those self-reports are not always reliable. And we just talked about memory being very fallible. So the reason why you want to go to this extent is because you want to get to implicit reactions from the brain and body and not the explicit type. That is amazing. Is there is there a way to use that same sort of t uh, technology for memory 48 hours later? There is. If we had the, cap the capability to put the uh, devices back on and in 48 hours then ask people to, <laughs> to report their memories, then we could do that. We don't go to that extent. So the only self-report that we rely on is that memory after 48 hours. And the reason for that is because once the presentation is over, or the stimulus is over, people will go out into the wild and now they will be telling your message on your behalf, ideally. So then we want to see what's still on that brain in 48 hours when people are, are let loose. That's amazing. Uh, really cool. Before we go, I got I to gotta ask this question because uh, is there any photo of somebody seated at the study I could put in the show notes? Is that an option? Yes, I can, I can send you. I, I will email you and ask. I'd love for people to see this. So here's my question yes. is, uh, you know, as with a Hollywood thing, how long are people in, in makeup? How long does it take to prep and get ready where to put this whole contract? It's not like they just walk in, sit down and do the study. I'm sure there's a, a time period of getting situated, confirming you're getting signal. Um, I mean, are you shaving people's heads? How does this work? I'm curious. <laughs> I love that you're asking that so much because it's taking us as a company a while and it's taking us as a society a while to get it down to minutes versus really? hours. Really? Wow. It used, be, it used to be hours only because in the past, if you used some of these devices, we are using medical devices, by the way, that uh, you would use if you went to the hospital because you had to be checked for, uh, for seizures, for example. And um, you were uh, you were struggling medically, 
And um, many of these electrodes would be wet electrodes. That means that you would have to inject some conductivity gel in them, mm-hmm. then put the cap on. So imagine by the time you inject these electrodes, by the time you put them on, by the time you take them out, this would, uh, would be a, a long process. These days, we're using dry electrodes, so that means there is no gel. We don't mess up with people's hair. We only use one electrode on the chest, and some hair does get sacrificed for science when it comes off. That's a temporary thing. <laughs> you would like this. We, uh, every so often, we will organize these EEG studies at uh, sales kickoffs. So um, I was uh, putting this electrode on this person's chest. And uh, I said, normally in a hospital setting, we would shave the chest. But uh, in this setting, it would be kind of awkward. And he said, you haven't been to our sales kickoffs. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's not as usual as I thought. (laughs) Are we going to get to a point where all you need is an Apple Watch and a a phone? (laughs) For this? Or you can just uh, drive through something like a little EEG drive through like car wash. Yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> this is how I feel. Wow. So wow. what, are, so for this, this specific study, and by the way, does, is there a name? We keep saying like this, this the study, study, the we study. It was, it. Did you name and it? By the way, that study is one of the many studies each, each year we complete right. anywhere between 10 to 12. The study that you're talking about, let's call it the uh, the hyperscanning study. And the reason I'm right. particular about that name, at least for us in our context is because hyperscanning, which means scanning more than one person at a time, is fairly unique, even in the world of neuroscience. Because imagine, Troy was just asking, well, how many minutes does it even take it to, to set people up? Now imagine if you're scanning more than one person at the same time, that means you're, in this case, we scanned two people at the same time. That means you're doubling all the, uh, all the efforts. But the setup takes about uh, seven minutes the stimulus itself, we try to keep it fairly short between seven to 15 minutes max, only because the moment that you put the gear on, people are aware of the gear. We show them some activities mm-hmm. to get them habituated. They will stay habituated and enroll, like you're talking about Hollywood for, for a bit. But <laughs> after a while, that newness wears off, and now you start being re-aware of, uh, of what you're, you're doing. And we don't want that to interfere with the task that we're giving them. So we're keeping the length of the experiments fairly short. I imagine that in the future, as the technology will continue advancing and you're less and less aware of what you have on your scalp and on your body, then you can increase the experimental time even more. So again, so let's let's talk about sort of the, the high level results mm-hmm. from this. As you said, uh, four different modalities, a face-to-face presentation, a virtual presentation, a hybrid, and then a phone, uh, an old school phone presentation. So out of those, the, the big question is, what should people do? What what's the best? The, I, know, yeah, I don't the, like answering black and white questions like that. But but what were some of the high level? You would like the black and white. I mean, in in certain ways, that's the only reason why you want to engage in the scientific method to find some uh, some black and white in a world full of uh, fifty shades or more right. of gray. Is the uh, the black and white here in this study was that um, contrary to our expectation, which was that the face to face would prevail in terms of a modality, the virtual modality was superior, especially when it came to putting people in a positive state of mind and um, people uh, remembering and staying focused a little bit better. And um, I would advocate that that's one of the advantages of the virtual screen compared to a face-to-face environment, it does tend to draw attention. Should the presenter do a good job, it tends to focus the uh, the attention a little bit better. I mentioned the word hyperscanning a little bit um, earlier, and what happens is when 
you're aware that somebody else's brain is being scanned at the same time. So this is a group activity now. It's not uh, an individual one. Your own brain waves change. It's for that reason why you may laugh a little bit harder when you're watching a comedy with somebody else and not by yourself. Because the presence of another induces brain wave changes in your in your own uh, in your own brain, and um, I think that uh, this synchronization is uh, appearing even more so in a virtual environment. If the presenter knows how to implement some presentation techniques, and given your advanced audience, I'm sure that uh, you're no foreigner to techniques such as using a lot of animation. In fact, in that uh, presentation that I mentioned, that lasted seven minutes. There were 14 slides, 13 or 14 slides, and some of them had 30 plus animations. Very tastefully done. The presenter had practiced a lot. And um, these uh, animations were mapped to the words that he was saying. So they were Mm -hmm. almost uh, um, predictive of what would happen next. The brain was trying to kind of anticipate the the next movement. It's almost like anticipating rhythm in poetry. So I think there is a great advantage to animations to be used, uh, especially in a virtual uh, setting. Uh, The content was fairly complex, but the visual design eased that complexity in the sense that there was a lot of contrast. The information hierarchy was very clear. Um, Things were paired together that belonged together. So there's that proximity principle that uh, the designers had abided by. And um, the virtual modality, all of this to say, is that it did well. So as a practical guideline for anyone listening, don't feel like you instantly have to rush for a face-to-face meeting. Consider that if it's an overview of your solution, you can get away with that in a virtual space and then earn that second face-to-face meeting because we were noticing some advantages to the face-to-face in the sense that people had sharper memory 48 hours later for minute details. So the moment that you start getting into the weeds and you really do want people to uh, to remember some sub, sub, sub levels, then a face-to-face environment might be conducive to that. And whatever you do, if it's in your control, avoid hybrid. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. We need that. to define <laughs> hybrid though, because yeah. hybrid means so many things. So really quick, what's your definition of hybrid for this study? In this context, hybrid was the context in which you have the presenter. In this case, he was a seller. And a person was with him in the in the same room. Uh-huh. And then somebody else from the pair, remember this was hyper-scanning, so we were scanning more than one person at a time. The other person had joined in virtually via Zoom. Right. So a hybrid in this case would be a combination of face-to-face and virtual. So you had a remote audience, a partial remote audience. And yes. to confirm the remote audience was the one that had the lower retention versus the face-to-face. Well, to confirm, neither party did well. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, out the window with all the good stuff. (laughs) I have a question. Did you introduce distractions into any of the modalities? Ooh, I like what you're going. So um, give me some examples of distractions, like a a cat would be walking through the environment or yes, a door would open in the back of the room in a face-to-face or um, someone would sneeze in a conference room being face-to-face. My husband would walk up the stairs singing when I'm in a a virtual environment, those types of things. And so I just be curious. I love you are telling us the ideal situation 
And this is what we all aspire to. So this is awesome. And I can tell my clients what they should do based on your science. But the reality is my Mayo Clinic clients are writing down something that has absolutely nothing to do with what they're um, viewing on their screen. What do you think about that? I really like what you're asking about because you're absolutely right to reflect on the fact that distractions, and uh, you might also be thinking as you're listening to this, multitasking are some of the biggest detriments to our attention and memory, therefore our decisions. And um, when we conduct these studies, we still try to abide by some ecological validity in the sense that we want to make them as realistic as possible. And we put them as cognition in the in the wild. So we don't have a sterile lab where people come in and everything is soundproof. Okay. There is a, they're um, removed from any kind of um, environmental noises. The um, this experiment, in fact, took place in San Francisco, and um, we rented uh, one of those uh, shared working spaces. So you imagine that you have mm. a conference room, and this conference room, as in most uh, shared working spaces that try to be modern has all glass uh, walls for okay. uh, at least two of the four. So if there was somebody that was walking through the corridor, these um, people listening to the sales presentation at the corner of their eyes would have seen that. Okay. Cisco, so then you have the ca- the noise from the cars that are driving uh, down below. And of course, yeah, the police and the ambulance type of noises. So it's a good so representation have- of environmental exactly. stuff exactly. happening. Yeah, exactly. I love it. I love it. That is... But- Okay. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, yeah, Sam, but nobody was watching their phones or, or buying stuff on Amazon. Probably, right? it is, it's true that within the seven minutes that we expose yeah. them to that, they would not have access to TikTok. They would not have <laughs> access to any other uh, impulses that uh, they will have liked to, to indulge. I could say, though, that we kept the experiment um, length to 30 minutes per pair. And people would have come straight from another meeting, straight from work, straight from some other task. So in terms of what's going on in their minds is also fairly realistic of what would go on for you when you have back-to-backs, let's call them that. So yep. that would have been uh, that would have been realistic. But I do like what Nolan is saying in terms of how do you manage people's impulses? And I think we, all of us in science, have a very wide area to start asking some some research questions in that regard. Mm-hmm. What do you guys do to manage your impulses? By the way, uh, well, that, that, that's a very personal question. <laughs> that's very personal. <laughs> I just answered a text. I'm. I just answered a text about a. You know, I thought it might be an urgent call. So, you know. You know, I, I'm in a, I'm in a unique situation where I've been traveling all over the country, all over the globe doing meetings. And my main job is to put a distraction in everybody's hands at these, uh, medical meetings. And, and I, so I, I instruct the presenter who's going to introduce this. I'm like, you have to make light of this and make people aware of what you're doing. And, encourage them to not use this. So what I'm doing is we're, we're a two person pair. Lori's handling all the presentation work. I am there to introduce live polling so they can capture feedback on these investigator meetings. So I'm literally having people pull out their cell phone and saying, we're going to have polling on this. so We can get live feedback 
but we understand your device is the biggest distraction we can ask you to have available. So, you know, so literally for the past two months, I've been asking people to put a distraction in front of them and I'm very aware of it. And we, we instruct the introducing presenter to make light of it and tell them like, we know this is your distraction. Please use it for what we, you know, the purpose and, and hold those other needs, urges, distractions to a minimum. Um, it never works. You know, people are getting up, taking phone calls. You can see people answering text messages, and, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, so, so I'm in this unique situation where I could be a study in and of itself watching <laughs> 70, you know, physicians answer questions. I do like what you're saying in the sense that we can all find inspiration in your example, meaning that ultimately you can't really control fully what other person, what another person's impulses are and, uh, temptations that maybe some of them try hard to resist. But what you can control is the intensity and importance of your own stimulus. So mm-hmm. what we try to do, at least in our neuroscience studies, put our best foot forward. So if people are seeing 13, 14 slides, those better be the best 13, 14 slides that we have <laughs> developed lately. Those better be the most important, at least to what we understand the context to be, that we have developed lately. So this way, you minimize the chances for that impulses to be indulged. Should we talk about that? Or do you want do you, any questions? So many things I move we can on? talk about. So many things to keep talking. I know about. it. This is yeah. I I have a question about the sort of distraction thing. When I train mm-hmm. in person, I do that thing of putting little toys out for people that I always read. Oh, I, I believe that it helps people sort of like do something with their hands to help focus more. I don't think a phone is quite the same as like a little bit of silly putty. To but what what's your feeling about that? Is that is it possible? that a distraction being remote, you know, virtual for the audience, is it possible that those distractions are actually helpful in some way? Ooh. It could be. And I really like where you're, you're going, where um, I have to look to see where I found that study that was in fact advocating some multitasking, but not in the way that you think. Obviously, when we talk about multitasking or task switching, we already know that there is a, a lot of um, there are a lot of negative consequences to that. Mm-hmm. Think about it this way: when people or many people engage in multitasking, what do you feel? You feel a little buzz. You feel like, mm-hmm. ooh, I'm getting a little bit of this done. I'm getting a little <laughs> right. this done. It just feels so good, almost like toying with those uh, objects that you're talking about. Because now you're feeling in in a positive state, you're feeling in an elevated state. Some of these studies advocate that, yes, allow people to multitask a little bit and then start with a task that's really important at hand. So use multitasking almost as a primer. So that's, uh, that's one thought. Another thought around what Nolan was saying in terms of these objects, I do like this notion of involving the body more. One of the hottest trends in neuroscience right now is uh, embodied cognition, this trend that is reminding us that how is it that our customers or audiences ultimately make decisions is by building perceptions, like we say, and and memories. Well, how are those born? We're finding out more and more that cognition is born at the intersection of brain and body interacting with the environment. And unfortunately, many presentations are disembodied, meaning that we just show some content that is fairly flat Hardly ever people bring their bodies to the equations. It's mainly a cerebral activity that you're inviting your audiences to engage in. So if you do have the possibility to give them something to physically interact with, like in Nolan's case, it's these toys, as long as 
that activity then renders itself some benefits to the ultimate task, then you're already on the right uh, track in the sense of now the body is involved. So as you think about just presentation design, always ask, how can I bring the body and the environment in a bit more? Interesting. Okay, so to bring it back to our actual um, uh, presentation world, I'm going to ask a really simple question, but it came up while I listened to your talk while I was up in a Monterey. So here's the quick one. Quick yeah or nay. Thank you, slides. <laughs> I would advocate for a strong no. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're, because I think we're all on the same page. The importance of that 10% message, meaning that we said rule number one, make sure that you clarify it. Rule number two, make sure that you repeat it at least uh, three times, if not more, the longer the presentation is. And if you think about the thank you slide, the conventional wisdom would be that you finish with that. I would say to reserve the words thank you for something you say verbally and uh, you are very polite. But what they see and hear uh, at the end, it should be a reiteration of your most important message and the supporting points. With no additional surprises, sometimes people try to sneak in a few <laughs> last pieces of information because that's your last chance, perhaps. But the more you have stayed consistent with your main message and your supporting points all throughout, now the brain has detected the repetition. And when you punch it at the end with that uh, final reinforcement, it's your one last chance to say, this is what's critical to remember. And by the way, there's another phrase I would, uh, I would avoid, which is, if you remember nothing else, remember this. And Ooh. the reason I would avoid that is because you're essentially telling the brain, forget all the other stuff. This is, yes. really, <laughs> this is really the essence. Mm -hmm. What you want instead is, this is what I want you to remember. And everything else that you have heard or you will hear if you're in the beginning is in service of this one main message and a few supporting points. So therefore, you will impart validity to everything that you share, not to just that one message. That Excellent. is an awesome tip right there in and of itself and yep. yes so we've been i i am guilty used it. <laughs> yes yes exactly so okay so we've been talking about format and modalities and results of the presenting but this is something well i know we've all noticed it you're very aware of how your visual design affects the audiences you've said it several times during our discussion here. Um, and I would just add that whenever I've seen you present, your slides are gorgeous. So and well designed and memorable. So can you talk a bit about what designers should know about cognitive science um, when it comes to designing slides and visuals? What did you take into consideration when designing the slides? There's a, study. a lot that we can discuss in terms of uh, visual design. I'm curious though, from the slides that you have seen in the past, which ones do you still remember from the presentations I shared? Well, uh, the most recent, but um, I remember the, you know, I'm looking at it from a different context. Your sure. last, which was the, the summit that you presented on previously? That's, I remember the elegance of those slides two years ago. Maybe it was. Yeah, it would it have was been on a, site. It would have been a while. And I like how you're mentioning the word elegance. Um, anything mm -hmm. else that stands out as a, as a visual? Uh, Nolan, do you remember any slides from the past? Uh, I, re I remember in your most recent ones, I, I remember you had a, a column chart with a flame in it. Oh. 
Mm-hmm. Now, now what that act that specific chart was saying, I, I don't remember. Yeah. So I don't. I, I is that a good? Is that good? Is that bad? I don't know. So the reason why I wanted to um, to run this informal poll is because it's so easy on the surface to say if you want to make something memorable, just add a visual to it. That that will oh. do it. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like people saying, you know, if you want to make something memorable, just add a story to it. That will do it. And it's not globally true. Like just because you add a visual, just because you turn something into a story, it still doesn't secure memory. Because notice, even for all of us. We couldn't necessarily pinpoint some specific visuals. Even for me, if I were to reflect on some past presentations, I'm not really sure that I remember exactly what I would have presented two years ago. But notice how there are some still elements, some, some elements that are still in our memories. Like you mentioned the word elegance, or you mentioned the mm-hmm. word the claim that appeared in one mm-hmm. of my uh, mm-hmm. art. And just for our audience to picture this, imagine that you have the typical Excel bar chart where some bars are growing taller than uh, previous bars. And in the one that was the tallest, suddenly I included just this very brief um, flame to show that people are having more reactions for that condition. That was the intent for Mm -hmm. that chart. But suddenly you have motion within something that would have otherwise been very static and predictable. So if we want to answer your question in terms of what should we be aware of for visual design, look for something that people find as typically predictable and then see if you can add a twist to what's familiar. And often that twist, if it comes with motion, then it may attract additional attention and therefore convert into a memory like it, uh, it showed for, uh, for Nolan. Um, Sandy mentioned the word elegance. One of the ways that I'm looking at presentations as we include them in our neuroscience uh, studies is to make sure that everything feels unified, like it's part of a whole. And perhaps that's what gives that feeling of um, of elegance. And I have a question for all of you because I'm just getting ready for a new neuroscience study where I want to expose people to a presentation that was designed by humans with visuals that were created by the human hand in the sense that they're still downloaded from a stock photography database, but manipulated in such that the human is in control of how these visuals ultimately convert to that elegance you're talking about. And then in version two, I want to retain the essence of the visuals, but now those are done by an AI engine. Ah. Oh, wow. Which presentation will perform better in variables that we typically capture, such as attention, motivation to keep watching, fatigue, how much you like it, and how alert and awake you are during that experience. I would say input. Input is the key to that. Right? Input how we're to, what we're we're examining the t- the audience we're examining the objectives we, we're asking the client this and we come up with a result based on human design I right now current AI is coming up with a nice looking result but paragraphs and paragraphs of text rather I, than I, being visual I, I'm so going to ask a strange strange question or I'm sorry did did you uh, well, I just wanted to, to that. the the, uh, the experiment will be the presentation words will be the exact same in both groups. Yes, the only thing that will be different will be the images. So, oh. have this so, more sophisticated kind of design in the sense that you have a visual identity. Everything kind of flows throughout um, because of these branding guidelines that you typically abide by. Uh-huh. Versus the AI, at least for now, 
doesn't really have the capability to take in some branding guidelines and establish coherence across all of your slides. It gives you a picture for this. It gives you a picture for this other thing, a picture mm -hmm. for this other thing. And the brain has started to recognize, by the way, that those are mid-journey, for instance, as a tool we plan to use. Those okay. are mid-journey kind of visuals. Is your hypothesis that there will be a difference between these groups? Or people will not necessarily care since the script is exactly the same. It has a good structure. It has a solid message. All of the other things are taken care of. So I have an interesting, I mean, this is very, very timely. I, I know this podcast is going to release in a week or so, but just today we had a, a team meeting among all of our presentation designers. So we were reviewing stuff. One of our designers had taken, he's a, a very in tune or curious about the whole AI, uh, how it can actually be a benefit to us. We're still struggling to see it. Um, so he took a presentation that he had just finished working on for a client, fed the exact same narration into an AI engine to get a, create a presentation. His term for it was, it just looked artificial. Now it's kind of funny from an AI term, but he's like, there, there is no way I would turn this file over to a client. He's like, but I could see value in using it as a starting point because some of the ideas were great visual identifiers that I didn't build into the presentation. So I think that's, I think it's a really good word representation is that AI-based content looks artificial to the human eye at this point. For now, yeah. Yeah, yeah at this point. And, and I know there's a lot of work being done to let AIs ingest um, not only branding guides, but uh, messaging and language, um, messaging styles, where mm -hmm. that, so what it creates is more or less on brand and within language of that enterprise, but it's definitely not there yet, but I've heard and seen a few really exciting demos of the future. I'll report uh, in, a, in a few short months and uh, Nolan, I think that's a struggle of ours is trying to find, you know, we spend a lot of time searching for the imagery that is consistent and matches the brand. And if a, if a client doesn't already have a library and, and um, done a, a huge photo shoot for that library, if AI can solve that problem, that would be yeah. very, very helpful. Uh, Nolan, I know you had a question. Oh, right. So I had a question. And this sort of goes back to most of what we've been talking about today. Is memory of of a presentation, of a message, does that equal effectiveness? Is that the is that the metric? Is that the measurement that that we're we're using for effectiveness? I really like where you're going with this because I would pair up memory with action. Because mm. ultimately, what's the use of memory if people do nothing with it? Right. Like reflect on your college years. I'm sure that you may remember a few things, but maybe some of those things you never acted on. <laughs> right. But the, I mean, obviously, you know, you're giving a sales presentation and you want somebody to, you want to make a sale. Yes. But, but again, I'm like wondering if that's the, is memory ultimately the most important thing? And, and it's, it's weird because if they forget it, I guess there's, I guess it's not effective. There's nothing for them to do with, with that material. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm sort of like throwing that out. It's a, it's a, it's a, I, I like a bit it of an existential question, I guess. It should be an existential question for all of us contain, creating any content, because if you have the courage after 48 hours, when you know that your audiences have been exposed to your presentation, ask these two questions, what do you remember and what are you willing to do with it? 
And ideally, you get desirable answers to both of those questions. And to get desirable question, answers to those questions, think about this. So, so we're talking about repetition. So clarify your 10% message. Make sure that uh, you repeat it uh, frequently. Make sure it has some cognitive ease. That's another criteria that we added later on. Make sure that it's associated with a reward because we're saying, how do you keep people away from distractions or multitasking? Well, yours should be a lot stronger as a stimulus than that TikTok video, which means you provide some rewards that are keeping you focused on it versus uh, something else. So notice how already you have some criteria that here at point A are very strong, but also ask some questions around that 10% message in the sense of what will people need at point B when I'm no longer in the room even for them to recollect some of these these, uh, elements. Quite often people talk about memory in a retrospective way, meaning that reflecting on what we remember from the past, which is still very useful. But the only reason why really the human brain has a capability for memory is from a prospective angle, meaning that it's not just necessarily to remember the past. What you really want to remember is the future. And that is called prospective memory, meaning that every so often when you're going about the day, you will say to yourself, I must remember to do this. I must remember oh. to send this file. I must remember to pick up the dry cleaning. I must remember to meet with this client. I must remember to finish this presentation. And some of those actions, you still remember when they come, but some of them you totally forget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In fact, some science studies will say that 60% of our memory troubles or more are not really us forgetting the past. They are us forgetting the future. And wow. how does that then relate to when you're creating presentations and when you're relating to customers and what to know and was tech- talking about? Is memory really the ultimate? It's prospective memory that's really the ultimate. So what can you do about it? Well, there are various techniques, but one of the things that you can start thinking about is what cues can you build for people that will appear in the future so that when they see that cue, you're thinking, oh, it's that present. That reminds me of that presentation. So for instance, for your dry cleaning, you might think, when I see that exit off the highway, I must remember to to act. There are some cues that the environment already gives you. Can you be one of those cues so that you can nudge people to remember? Because hardly ever do we have the luxury of people sitting back at their desks and and thinking, this very moment, I'm going to recollect all the presentations that I saw last week. <laughs> Not so, like, so, so we should be like ringing a bell every time we, <laughs> we make an important point. And then... There you go. It's, uh, yes, uh, you have to think, I like what you're giving um, as a, a set of examples, um, you have to think about what would be the equivalent of that, uh, of that Pavlovian uh, bell. Every time, you see, uh, every time you see that blank PowerPoint slide, like, <laughs> that's, that should trigger something good. It should, should not trigger something bad. You can get, but I'll, I'll give you a practical example of how we applied this. So we were creating a presentation for a client and we were noticing that um, these people were mainly socializing around this lobby area where they always had oranges. Every single time that we were there at their locations, these darn oranges were present. Like anywhere we turned, there's more oranges. So um, the presentation in that case was about delivering some bad news. Sometimes in corporations, you have to do that. Not everything is also rosy. And um, we redesigned something that I had seen online a while back where imagine that you have a, a tangerine and you start peeling it off and then suddenly it turns into a figure. Like, you know, you, you, you see a, 
you personify some objects. Mm -hmm. So this now appearing figure looked like it was picking itself up. So now we turned two of the peels into legs and one of the peels into kind of like a little hand and it was holding up its belly, meaning that <laughs> I'm just kind of keeping everything all, all together the, the best way that I can. And then we just followed that orange kind of uh, motif all throughout and even um, at the end, we finished up with these orange peels and there was some motivational message that appeared at the end. But the more that we showed that and we said, we even said, you know, this inspiration was provided by the environment here that you that you see all the time. So we were we got compliments that now people are looking at those oranges and each time that they saw the oranges, they were reminded of the uh, of the presentation. So that's one oh, of that's the examples that you can build off of the environment and off of existing cues just so that you can do everything you can to help that prospective memory. Hmm. You know about oranges and the Godfather, right? You guys know Ooh, no, in the movie? Every single Never. time, you, the oranges are all over the Godfather. Every time you see one, something bad happens or is about to happen. Somebody oh. gets killed. Somebody gets rubbed out. So, yeah. Wow. So next time you watch it. Carmel, Carmel, I attention. love this, and I like the darkness of it all as well. So, senior, we And let's just not forget that as we use all of this equipment, what we're noticing often is that a state of tension has so many positive consequences on ultimate learning and memory. And sometimes the presentations that uh, we see tend to have these rosy glasses, and everything is so positive psychology. But the moment that, see, you mentioned the Godfather, and now there is just something that's a little bit uh, darker and, uh, and cheaper. I guarantee that if somebody checked our memories after 48 hours, that Godfather and the orange thing might still be up there at the top because mm -hmm. now that comes with its uh, subsequent tension. So indulge tension when uh, when you can. Thanks like for that it. analogy, Nolan. Now it's great. I'm going to go <laughs> that, oranges what, what for life. Remember from today, right? It's, it's, <laughs> no, perspective memory is uh, no prospective no, like memory prospective. is uh, mm -hmm. is probably the greatest uh, thing I've I've heard for. And yeah, Carmen, thank you. This has been phenomenal. This is really really great. Such a treat. Uh, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. And, and obviously, just you know, your involvement with the presentation summit, which we've all been in. Uh, around and involved with over the years, it's always a treat to have somebody kind of in our corner, somebody on the neuroscience side saying this is presentation reality or what you should mm -hmm. be focused on. It's just a, a great, great treat. So thank you so much for the for the time. Thank you, Carmen. Thank you so much, everyone. And please stay in touch with me because um, I'd love to know what research questions are going through your minds. I, even at the summit, somebody walked up to me and asked, um, are, is there any science behind font usage, for instance? It's not a research question that uh, I would have had uh, in mind, but please serve as my cues in the, in the future. And if there is some, some answer that you want to find from the angle yes. of the body in an implicit kind of way, I'd love to know what that is. And let us know when that AI study comes out. Mm -hmm. that, Absolutely, uh, please. Yes, I'm conducting a series, and this is all I can promise is that uh, there are results that all of you will, will enjoy when we try to pair up the AI with humans. Okay, phenomenal. Mine's maybe a little expanded here or full of thinking through this conversation, but uh, let's jump into something fun. Pro and tech tips. I'm going to go second there. 
You're going to oh. go second. Okay, so who goes first? Okay, I guess I'm going to go first and I'm <laughs> going to share my, <laughs> that was a surprise. <sighs> okay, I'm going to share the Logitech Wave keyboard that I, Wave keyboard that I just purchased. And not necessarily because I thought it was cool looking or extraordinary. The case was that I needed it immediately. My old Logitech Wave keyboard died after a kajillion years of use. And I literally, I mean, seriously, I'd worn off the text off the keys. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I, I needed it immediately. So it applied, it arrived overnight and I was good to go the next day. Um, but here's the cool thing. It has a small footprint. It's a low profile. And I love the smoothness of the keys while I'm clicking. I, I guess it's the, the correct tactile experience that a lot of people is important to a lot of people. And I think very much so with creative people. But it is multi-OS. Multi so you can use it Mac. I thought Versus. you were going to say it's multidimensional because now that I look at the picture, it's the one that waves up. It's like, you know, it's like yeah. raised and lowered and carpal yeah. tunnel helpful, I guess. Yeah, exactly. But, well, no, what I meant was you can use it with any system, but it no longer. So because it's multi OS, it doesn't come with the Windows key, which because this was an ancient, my old one was ancient. Um, I use the Windows key a lot, but it comes instead with this cute little icon button in the. F keys in the function oh, wait. keys. wait. Now that I'm looking at it, there was a 2017 model and now the new 2023 model. Yes. Sandy, you need to make sure you got the new 2023 model, I guess. Yes, I did get the 23. Because it's in 20... a different shade of black. Okay. Well, this is a really cool charcoal gray. <laughs> oh, that's okay. What it is. Yeah. But, you know, and this leads into another um, pro tip, and that's mm. to use um, Windows plus the period, which will give mm -hmm. you the icons if you don't have that. Emojis. Icon button like emojis. I have the emojis, excuse me. Oh, and then icon. of course I mentioned this previously, but the second windows um, option that I always used was windows plus H and that's for me to record into any program that I want to. That's audio record. Audio record. Oh, exactly. Nice. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was long, but that's my tech and pro tip. That's awesome. I learned Windows H from my youngest daughter when she was in college because she'd record all her notes. I was like, I literally had to go up and say, how are you doing that? Mm -hmm. It was cool. like, oh, I didn't know that. Okay, I'll go second. Um, so uh, as a reminder, this is a fun, sh short segment where we get to share something random, not always presentation specific. Uh, so this is a pro tip and it ties in with our guest you know, the incredible neurologist, no, 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 the incredible neuroscientist, um, another sort of well-known early 20th century neuroscientist, uh, Ivan Pavlov, famous for a study on conditioning dogs to respond when a bell is rung, if you all remember. Thanks, You're, he's uh, a big fan. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, our, our dog, quite honestly, totally ignores, like literally will turn her head and roll her. Like I am not paying attention to you. So it doesn't work. Okay. So it's, it's the whole, the pairing neutral stimulus, the bell ring, and then an unconditional stimulus response. Uh, and, and in this case, it's the need to advance a slide is the elicited conditioned response for me. <laughs> The, you know, <laughs> click the button, advance the slide. Yeah. 
<laughs> and I've literally said this for years. It's like, yo, know, I'm conditioned to this. And, and so, you know, yes, I am saying I am the conditioned dog in this pro and tech <laughs> tip. Uh, so the industry standard for PowerPoint remotes is the DeSan Perfect Q. If you go to any stage presentation, you're most likely going to be handed a, a remote from the company DeSan. It is the best thing around, so much so that when we do these international projects, we bring a unit with us because we don't know what is going to be available there. We want all of our presenters, we you know kind of follow around the world to have something um, they're familiar with. In addition, I want the Pavlov um, response time because... So, so let me back up. The controller itself, the, the, the base unit, it can connect via USB to two computers. And those can be turned on or off, which I totally love. You can, they, they're not always active. So you can make it so it does control the slides, or you can make it so it just controls the light and the, the, the sound, the bell ringing. So presenter clicks, the base unit beeps. I advance the slide without even thinking about it. I mean, so much so I can be in the middle of a conversation and continuously keep a presentation in track with that forward and back because I know both the tones. The, the real key here is that there is a headphone jack. Put it in there. I wear an earbud, so I am literally getting that beep into my brain instantly. Um, Carmen is probably listening and groaning or saying, I've got to study for this or something else. But, you know, that's the tip. You know, use the, the, the tip is use the audio port, you know, connect it to a wired earbud, react instantly. Just like Pavlov's dogs, I instantly mm -hmm. react, whether the conversation's happening or anything, but the presentation does go on. Um, so there it is. The audio out is a great option for those units. Excellent. Good to know. Um, and mine is another hard, uh, piece of hardware. We were talking about Elgato earlier with our teleprompter, but I How just much stock myself. do you own in this company to bring them up? Uh, How many well, times in the conversation? What? <laughs> What's funny is I am redoing all my, my setup here. Um, everything from painting walls to another monitor to new lights and, and arms and everything. So I'm really redoing everything and I'm changing my lights to Elgato key lights. And I, I just got one so far. I got to get a second. They are not cheap, but they are really low profile and, and they connect to the stream deck and there's an app and they're really well, they're very well controlled and everything. So it's going to be a little step up for me, but I really like, I, they have a few different models, different sizes, but um, Elgato key lights, that's what I'm working on with right now. That's going to be part of my new setup in the new year. So You can create like Stream Deck it. profiles to like say 50% or this side brighter and just button push and it does it for you. It's all pre you I can believe so. I don't actually, I'm, I'm sure you can do that. I just, I mean, I just, I don't have different, I, I, you can change the, the um, temperature and the, and the mm -hmm. brightness in the app. I don't know if you can do that on Stream Deck, but, but probably. So I, I figure that out. I don't, I, I'm not. I'm not spending that money. I've invested <laughs> in everything else. So we've got key lights everywhere, but uh, those are awesome units. Yeah, they are. They're really nice. Well-designed. Nolan will be wearing an Elgato sponsored t-shirt next. Yes. Yes. Sponsor them. <laughs> well, why don't they should sponsor our podcast? <laughs> we have no sponsorships because we're not going to show preference. Although Elgato is an awesome company. I probably, as I'm looking around, I'm realizing how much equipment of theirs I have here. Okay. Uh, let's do some sign off guys. This is Troy from TLC Creative Services, a professional presentation design studio. Check us out at tlccreative.com. VXPmeeting.com is our virtual meeting platform for online meetings and attendee registration systems. And then my blog, thepowerpointblog.com, is uh, full of presentation and PowerPoint tips, tricks, and hopefully inspiration. 
This is Nolan from Nolan Hames Creative. Check out nolanhamescreative.com to learn more about our presentation and data visualization training. You can also get some free downloads on the goodies page. And if you want to design slides without bullet points, which everyone should want to do, check out thebetterdeckdeck.com where you can get the actual deck of cards, the PDF version, and even the PowerPoint source files. And for podcast listeners, use the code podcast to get a discount on any order. And this is Sandy Johnson with Presentation Wiz. You can visit my website and blog at presentationwiz.biz. I'm also on LinkedIn as Sandra Johnson, PowerPoint MVP, and on X as at PPTWiz. And don't forget to stop by the Presentation Guild website at presentationguild.org. After that conversation, I am following Carmen's advice, and I am not going to thank you for joining us, nor conclude with a thank you slide. I will say, that was a fantastic conversation. Episode show notes, with a few photos and more info, is available at the Presentation Podcast website, thepresentationpodcast.com. This podcast is produced by TLC Creative Services Inc. and new episodes release on the first and third Tuesday of each month.